All right, how's everybody doing this evening? Um, tonight, <clears throat> we're going to cover Genesis chapter 6. And as always, let us consider or review the chapters that led up to this point. Um, and it's also to help your mnemonic as well. It's also to help you with your Bible memory. Now, some people think it's very important to memorize or memorize every single verse in a certain section. I'm a little lenient. I'm like, look, if you can remember how to get back to these parts of the Bible by remembering what's in those chapters, that'll go a long way in helping you remember how to navigate your way through this book. So Genesis chapter one was the fattening of the heaven and earth. And I know I said it a bunch of times. And for those of you who have not seen the first chapter segment of the Bible book club thing. When I say fatten the heavens and the earth, that's a Hebraic term is what is actually meant and said in Hebrew. God fattened the heavens and the earth instead of God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you want to know more about that, I suggest you go watch chapter one. Chapter two was about the detailed information or the um, picture in a picture of day six and five where God's, he's, uh, he's creating animals and he's creating man. He's inter interacting, he's forcing, forcing interaction between man and animals. They have the thing going on. That whole chapter two is about that. Chapter three is where Nakash, the serpent, introduces himself to the female, so to speak, or approaches the female and gets some, uh, he surveys the information that she knows about this tree and finding out what's up with it. We'll leave it like that. If you want to know more, by all means, go back and watch that video. I think it's the third video. And four, chapter four is where we, we witnessed the first murder between Cain and Abel. That's all I'm going to say. You want to see it? By all means, go back and watch that one. Um, <clears throat> and chapter five. Chapter five was the, gene the genealogy of Adam, specifically the genealogy of Adam. The genealogy of Cain is in chapter four, but in, in chapter five, we learn that there's a messianic message in the names from Adam to Noah. Okay? And it spells out that there's going to be Messiah to come. And if you want to know more about that, just like all the other advice I gave about the previous chapters, you can go watch the video. Okay, so now we're on chapter six. The events that lead up to the flood or the deluge, or shall I say the first judgment of God upon man. All right. So what we're calling this chapter is Project Dry Ground becomes corrupt enough to destroy. That's what I'm calling this chapter. And just like if you follow my Bible study method, you have the elect choice to call a chapter what you need to call it to remember the chapter by. Whatever you glean from that chapter is what you should call it. 
I mean, you you could read chapter six and may not come up with the same title I come up with. But tonight, I promised in the last video that I would explain more of my Bible study method, particularly the colors, the colors of each verse. I was going to explain what that means, but I'm really not ready to do that because I don't have the legend. I can talk about it, free will, right? But I don't have the legend to show you what the um, what the colors mean. So I have to shoot from the hip with that. Kind of caught me with my pants hanging down. I was anxious to make a video because I knew the time was getting away from me, but I was not prepared to make a video. That's what we're doing tonight, all right? So let's just sit back and relax and get into this thing. Let me explain some things about this whole entire video view of what you're going to be seeing and help you understand what you're paying attention to on the screen. You're watching me go through a Bible study method that I created years ago. I mean, years ago. I mean, it was in development since 1992. Okay. And uh, I like to say over the years, I kind of perfected it. I still see some things I need to perfect. And that's what this is all about. But Here's what I am doing. I am not trying to be your favorite Bible study teacher or Bible study companion. I'm not interested in that. What I'm particularly interested in is going through the Bible with you. I can be your go through the Bible companion in case you're too lazy to do it on your own. And I'm not, I don't say that judgmentally. I know how it is. It's difficult doing it by yourself. It gets boring, it's sleepy, all kind of stuff. So I am here to walk with you side by side as we go through the Bible. And for right now, we're going to keep, we're going to have short-term goals. Our short-term short -term goal right now is to get through Genesis. Then once we get through Genesis, we'll focus on another short-term goal, get through Exodus, all the way through the Torah. Then our, that's our short, long-term goal, is to get through the Torah. And once we get through the Torah, we'll have, an understanding of the fundamental foundation for the whole entire Bible, because the whole entire Bible is based upon the fundamental information we will find in the Torah. That one, because I'm going to tell you something, the Bible is an awful book to read. If you don't understand the Torah, you make up all sorts of things because you have no understanding of the origin of this information. If I was to tell anybody or instruct anybody on how to understand this book, I would say to them, first, you need to read the first five books of the Bible, which is the foundation of the Bible. Because that will help you understand some of the things you even read in the New Testament. It will tell you, it will help you understand the issues and problems that the Messiah was having with the Pharisees and why he was having a problem with the Pharisees in the first place. The Torah will help explain that. And uh, a lot of it, the Torah doesn't get as much credit as it should, especially in the Christian world, because the Old Testament itself has been discarded and pushed over to the side and said, we don't really need that. All we need to know is about Jesus' love. And then if Christians do go into the Old Testament, Old Testament I do, and I say Christians because even Hebrew Israelites mimic Christianity. They borrow from Christianity. Their theology is based in Christianity, whether they want to admit it or not. They are Christians with just new names, okay? 
And it's, it's, it's remarkable to me how somebody can complain about a group of people, but yet they borrow and mimic everything they do just wearing a dashiki. And that's not good enough for me. I want the truth of the Bible, and this is the best way I've found to get it. Piece by piece, book by book, going through it, coming through it, applying hermeneutics, the principles of hermeneutics to your comprehension skills and your study and your um, acknowledgement of certain passages, of all the passages, if you, if you possibly can. But I know it's going to take a lot of attention that most people don't have. So anyway, what I'm saying is this book needs to be approached differently than it ever has been before. Because if you keep approaching it the same way you always have been, you're always going to get out of it what you always gotten. And all I see is a manifestation of mistakes over and over again, no matter who breaks this book down. It's mistakes all in the way they read it. Because I can see missing components of hermeneutics that have not been applied to certain sections. And because we have famous cherry pickers, and I'm talking about people who don't who haven't even read the book all the way through, but yet they think they're thinking they're in a position to teach the book. And I'm saying if you haven't even read the book at least five times, you need to go sit your butt down somewhere because you cannot read this book and teach me anything. What you're going to do is you're going to come up with incomplete information, incomplete assessments. And I can really do without that. I, don't, I mean, I'm to the point where I don't even want to sit down and learn from anybody anymore because I'm finding out that nobody has the approach that I ask of a scholar or a teacher of the book to have. So I said, well, whatever, I'll do it myself. All right. And some of you may find this, this method of mine boring. Okay, I'm not here to make you hoop and holler, jump a screen, run down an aisle. Okay, one of the problems with Christianity is they are extremely biased when it comes to the Old Testament. And what they're going to do is they're going to go through the Old Testament seeking Christ in everything. Seeking Christ in the book of Ruth, seeking Christ in the book of Song, Song of Solomon's. And I think that's just ridiculous. That, that's just ridiculous. And I think they believe they can do that because Christ himself opened up the book and expanded in every part of it to his disciples. And I don't think they fully understand what that means, okay? And so what they try to do is they try to see Christ and everything. The temple, it's just ridiculous. And I think they miss a large portion of what's really trying to be conveyed through the scripture by doing that. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my time. I'm walking through this book um, scholastically, okay? And we got to pay attention to everything because there's so much that we read in the Bible that we overlook because we read it hoping to make it agree with what they said. And what they said is missing about 80% of what's in here. And so I'm saying to myself and I'm saying to you, what you need to do is read it like you've never read it before. Pay attention to everything that comes across your eye, okay? Focus and meditate on it. And um, since we're going to read the book like we've never read it before, what we're going to do, I'm, I try to abide by this this one rule, but I, it's, I find it hard to because I feel I need to explain. But what we're going to do is we're going to forget everything we ever read about this book and since we're in chapter six, what we're going to do, only thing we can talk about is chapter five, 
four, three, two, and one. We can't talk about chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, etc. When you're reading a book like you never read it before, you don't you haven't read it before, you don't know what's ahead. Okay. All you know is what's behind. So that's what we're gonna do. Okay. So now <clears throat> some 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 information about what we have before us. I am reading from the um Septuagint. Okay. And I can explain that shortly. I mean quickly. I wanna I wanna explain that quickly because I spend too much time in these videos explaining why the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the oldest version of the old testament that we have. Okay. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is about a hundred years younger than the Septuagint. So it's right up there. But however, we don't have a complete version of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It says Dead Sea Scrolls lies in tatters and 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 segments and because what we have is a lot of destroyed portions of the document. Some documents they had to piece together. And if you read if you read uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. In English, what you'll see is a lot of ellipses. Ellipses all over the place because they are making, they're putting ellipses where missing information is. And sometimes you can't even read a whole document properly. So I say, why don't we take what we have, that's the oldest, and use that because that is definitely head and shoulders above reading the Masoretic text, which most of your Bibles are translated from, okay? Most of your Old Testaments are translated from the Masoretic text, which is about 800 to 900 A.D. I'm talking about 800 to 900 almost years after Christ has died, okay? So, and besides, when compared to the Dead Sea Scrolls of what portions you do have, we find that the, the Septuagint is much more in agreement than the Masoretic text. And the Masoretic's are a group of scribes that are diabolical as far as I'm concerned. They, they, um, what they've done was they mistranslated, because this is what this is at this point, it's a translation. They mistranslated the Old Testament prophetic messianic prophecies to disclude Messiah. They were anti-Messiah, and so that's what their, that's what their their Bible actually bears. And I'm surprised most more people don't know this. I'm surprised people are falling for this hook, line, and sinker, and just eating this version of the Bible up. Okay, I want to get rid of the of the diabolical element, and go with a more pure, um, more pure group of scribes. The uh, the Sept the Septuagint, which actually means the 70, the 70 Jewish scribes that actually got together and translated this thing into Greek for um, for Ptolemy so that he would have a portion of the Torah, uh, so he would have the Torah in his library. And this too will also serve a purpose for the Hellenistic Greeks, Hellenistic Jews to read and participate in the culture as well. All right. And uh, for those who don't know about the Septuagint, it was it was remarkable that these 70, 70 scholars were locked up in a room. And um, <clears throat> when they got done with their translation of the Bible, 70 different translations of the Bible, 
or Old Testament at that time, or portions of the Old Testament at that time, because at that time, the full Old Testament was not complete because it had not been lived yet, all right? Their, their translations matched identically. Seven D translations matched identically. Now, much of that may have been steeped in legend. Don't know. But uh, I'll take the witness of history and gladly use it and teach it. And for those of you who don't know, I use the Bible backwards. I read the backwards Bible because I believe the backwards Bible is the proper Bible. Now, what do I mean by the backwards Bible? Well, everybody believes that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? And then they believe that the New Testament was written in Greek. Both of those things are um, bald-faced lie. Now, the original Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but we don't have copies of it anymore. What we do know is that the Mesorites actually burned every copy they copied from. So we can't have, we don't have any work to, to judge what they've done by, except for the Dead Sea Scrolls, they couldn't, they couldn't burn that one. So for the Old Testament, I believe in, let's use the Greek, since that's the oldest, oldest witness we have and most complete. And then not only that, but we find in the Septuagint, 14 missing books. I think it's 12 to 14 missing books that we don't find in today's canon. Very good. We need all the information we can. And then when it comes to the New Testament, for those of you who believe it was written in Greek, that's a lie. Aramaic primacy is what you find in the New Testament scriptures. Okay. And so I believe that we take the Aramaic New Testament, couple that with the Greek Old Testament, we have a backwards Bible where, um, more, more people believe that Hebrew precedes the Greek. I'm like, the Greek precedes Aramaic. And there you go. That's what we should be studying from. And that's where we get the complete truth from, or as close to the truth as possible. So in the scripture column, we will find the Brenton Septuagint. It will be up to me, which I think I'm going to do in verse in chapter 7. I already started it, is apply the um. The Apostol Apostolic Bible Polyglot. I think that, if I remember correctly, that's the name of it. Apostolic Bible Polyglot. And um, that's going to be the new Septuagint of choice. It's going to be a little difficult. It's going to be a little difficult to read and a little broken English, but I want as close to the I want as close to the truth as possible. And I'll be shifting to that, that that translation. And next we have the mechanical version of the Bible. Um, and again, this sheet right here will be available to you in the Swordsmith group on Facebook. You can download it and peruse it at your choice, have it to study from, whatever, have access to my notes if they help you. It'll all be yours for the for the um, for the humbling price of free. All right. So the mechanical Bible is actually a word for word translation of the Bible from the Hebrew, okay? And it's so word for word that it sometimes breaks English syntax and grammar. It doesn't make sense. But if you like me, you will love that. If you're a true scholar, you will love that because we want, we want, we don't want the uh, embellishments of the translator, all right? And next to that, you have in the Hebrew column, the actual Hebrew. So if you, if you are a student of the language, you can read it for yourself to check and make sure, you know, whatever, whatever. And then we have the teaching column. That's the column that I use to teach the law. 
that's the main focus of why I'm even doing this in the first place. Make myself familiar with the loss so that you can be familiar with the loss so that then we can know what to do, how to, um, how to, um, I, I don't want, I don't want to say manipulate the culture, but how we can, um, entertain living within the culture if we still want to do that to this day because we believe that okay god gave us this book he this is the basic um this is the basic manual for life so let us find out what we're supposed to be doing and so many people have so many questions so many controversial questions too when it comes to what shall we be doing how should we handle every situation in life and i believe the bible covers a majority of them majority of them but what you must understand is this book is not for you. It's not written for you. Now, I just finished reading, I just finished reading the introduction to um, the, the New World Translation. I love this book. I don't care what you got to say about this. I love this translation for many different reasons. But what it said was it said that the Bible was written for all mankind. I, I don't believe that at all. I believe that this book was written to Hebrews. It's for Hebrews. It's for Israelites. It's for those Israelites that have a covenant with God. And if you did not have covenant with God, if you don't, if you don't have a covenant with God, it's not to you. But we can also learn what's in the mind of God, and what's the expectation of God for His chosen people. Now, if you find yourself wanting to be a part of that and belong to that, and really don't have a covenant to to say that you are a part of that, then what I believe is that you can probably with your conduct, and if you pay attention to how covenants are conducted you possibly can forge one of your own so that you can feel like you belong to the full but uh i'm just going to say this and i'm not going to back it up this bible is done it's over with you're a late comer to the game it's completed already so there's something there's other requirements for you all right and so i i see people stressing themselves over trying to keep this thing or trying to live this thing. And um, as a, as a, as a moral barometer, it's great. Okay. I don't, I won't take anything from that, but if you're trying to get into God's good graces by living this, it's, it's over. It's done. Okay. Um, and maybe one day we can have a discussion about that. All right. And I would love to, I would love to, I would love to show you exactly how the story ended. And um, history confirms. All I'll say is that the book of Josephus is a great compliment, and it confirms much of what you read in the book of Revelations has already happened. All right. So let's let's leave it there. And then what you have is ATD. ATD is attention to detail. Attention to detail is a section that I um use for my notes. I put my notes down for my reflections, my perplexions, my uh, contemplations, whatever. All right. My questions. I even have, que I have questions on the Bible too. Some questions that will not be answered. And some questions that it perturbs me because scholars act like they have all the answers, which they don't. And I'm like the only one that probably will admit that, Hey, I, I don't have all the answers because the Bible doesn't answer that question directly. It doesn't. I can sit here and, and uh, give you what my exegesis of the text would be. I can give you my forensic information behind the text, my psychological information behind these characters in the text. But 
as knowing for sure, for sure, for sure, it's a normal. It's just a normal. You got to be humble enough and uh, brave enough to admit it. All right. And then the last column is the Hebrew column. Okay. That's where you'll see in the, in the, um, in the verses of the scripture, you'll see where some words are pink and some words are underlined in pink. Those are words that I want to capture and expound on what their meanings are in Hebrew, because I think they play a pivotal role in understanding the verse itself. Okay. And let me go here now. Back to the color. You see verse one here. See verse one, and the color is red. Oh, where'd my mouse go? Where'd my mouse go? You gotta be kidding. Okay, there it is. Okay, this is a point. That's my pointer. It turned to an eye beam, so you won't be able to see too too clearly. But see right there, that number one is red. Now red is a color that pertains to history, ancient information ancient knowledge or the past. So that's why virgin, that's why verse one is red because it's dealing with information in the past. Let me read it for you. And Noah was 500 years old and he begot three sons, Shem, Chem, and Japheth. All right. Now see, there's no laws that apply to that verse. So we're going to jump right ahead to attention to detail section. Let's read that. Let me move this up a little bit. All right. I'll be right with you guys. Okay, cool. There we go. <clears throat> All right. Now, this, where it says, and Noah was 500 years old, and he got three sons. Well, see, if you were with me for chapter five, you understand that chapter five was a genealogy that was kind of unique because that genealogy gave the ages of people that when they, when they were actually fathered children. Okay, and so this is a leftover from previous chapter five, and it should be a portion of chapter five. I don't know why it's part of cha start chapter six starts off this way, but it does. We got to deal with it. Okay, um, so Noah was 500, five freaking hundred years old when he fathered sons and daughters. Now, Adam was 200 years old when he fathered Seth. Don't know how old he was if he fathered Cain or Cain, or if he fathered Abel. I'm going to say he did just for the sake of argument, all right? Because that's pretty much what the scripture says in so many words, okay? I'm going to leave all that controversial stuff, all that, you know, the woman had sex with the serpent, all that kind of stuff. We're going to leave that to the side for now because there's no, nothing to support any of that, any of that, nowhere in the Bible. Okay, that's just fantasy thinking. Okay, so um, I made mention of that belonging to chapter five. Uh, Noah is the only father, which it is not said he begot daughters. Every other father we read in chapter five, begot, it said he begot one child at a certain age, and then after that, he begot sons and daughters. He begot sons and daughters. He begot sons and daughters. So far, Noah is the only one who is not said to have fathered a daughter. Just something to notice. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but it's just there's things like this all over the scriptures that you, you have to, if, you, if you're paying attention, close attention, this stuff will jump out at you. And I want it to. I want, I want you to notice this kind of stuff, okay? That's what will make you a um, super elect 
student of the Bible, studying to show yourself approved. And then paying that much attention to the Bible and in, in, in that, that much detail can actually help uncover so much more truth if you are attentive in that manner. Now, I want to, I want to hone your attentive abilities and increase them by, by showing you what I pay attention to that. You may not pay attention. You know, you're like, wow, I didn't think about it. But it was, it was, it, that's how I became attentive to the Bible in that degree. By listening to other scholars way back, I'm talking about way back in 1992, and I used to listen to Christian radio, I used to listen to teachers and things like that, who are bring to my attention much more than I ever gotten out of the book. So I'm hoping, hoping to be able to do the same thing for you, all right? All right. Um, let's see. What's one book ends. Okay, that one ends. This one begins. I'm still on that one right there. Noah was 500 years old before he begot some sons. If so, Noah was the oldest father in the book. And what I mean by oldest father, okay, he was the oldest man to have fathered children, right? 500 years old and having infants? You got to be kidding me, man. I don't know. I think Japheth is the oldest son, is the eldest son of the three. I think he had him first at 500 years old. That's, that's, um, that, that's, that says a lot without saying anything, okay? Because what you'll notice in chapter five is that a lot of these guys were well into their hundreds before they had children. It makes you wonder, why did he wait so long? Was there, was there some sort of legend or was there some sort of, like, belief that, hey, if you wait to father children as long as you can, then, you know, you might have a different breed of children. I don't know. I have no idea. But I know that um, whatever method Noah followed, it was enough to get God's attention to make him a favorable one along with him and his children. So that's just something to consider, something to think about. Let's look at the um, the meanings of the words Shem. I know this is saying Shem. Now, the Septuagint is notorious for spelling things differently than the Hebrew version would, or the actual version or the actual word itself. Shem or Shem is a name. That's what the word means, name. Matter of fact, that's the name of God. Um, many Hebrews call him Hashem. Hashem, the name. That's what Shem means. Name. Ha is a Hebrew article, the. So Hashem means the name. That's what they do out of respect for his name because they don't want to take his name in vain, one. And I think they don't have the proper definition of how to do that. <clears throat> and two, they don't, they don't believe in overusing his name so that um, I believe it originally started so that the Gentiles wouldn't evoke the, his name against them and weaponize his name. But uh, that's pretty much what it means. A son of Noah, often including his post posterity, Shem. Okay, that's what it means. All right, so Ham. Uh, Ham is how you say the name. I know a lot of people say Ham. <laughs> ham, but. Um, it's not talking about pork. It's talking about ham, which more so suits the name of Egypt. The more like um, black conscious name of Egypt is ham. 
Kemite, not a Kemite, but Kemet. Kemet. I, I could, I was having a hard time remembering how the name was said. The Black Conscious Movement says says Kemite or Kemet. Kemet. And that comes from this word, Kem, um, which is the name of Noah's second son, which means tropical. It comes from the tropical habitat. Chem or Ham is a son of Noah and as a patronymic, his descendants are, or his descendants or their country. Okay, so Chem is what the people are called, have been called Chemites, um, but they're a tribe of people that have many different names, okay? They have a certain portion of territory that was given to them, all right? And they seem to have involved themselves with the Israelites to the point of, now, I know I was going to say, don't go ahead of myself, don't go in the, in the, uh, the chapter, but I got to say this to expound on what I'm talking about. Well, I sound like an idiot. All right, so the... um in the book of Jasher or the book of Jubilees, I forget which one, we find out that Noah's son, Canaan, actually stole some of Shem's land, which is one of the problems why God has an issue with Canaan in the first place. Because land that Canaan took was God's territory. Right, and you have to live a certain way in that land, or God will kick you out. And I, I think I'm getting way too too ahead of myself, and I don't want to go that far. But I just want to, I want to expound on that to, to make it clear. And because um, these are these are portions of the Bible that you won't read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or any portion of the sixty six Kenner. All right, now so. Um, Canaan actually took Shem's land, or took land that belonged to Shem because of God's agreement with Shem and Japheth. And so after Canaan was cursed, he jumped in there and, you know, whatever. So, um, all right, so Japheth means expansion, okay? A son of Noah and his posterity. So Shem means a name. Chem means hot. It didn't really say it here, but it does mean hot. Oh, it does say hot right there. Shem means hot, the name hot expansion. All right. And it came to pass when men began to, to be numerous upon the earth and daughters were born to them. All right. So what I did basically, and this is all verse one. Now I can't I can't remember if this is all verse one. For the King James as well, but I do I do know this is all verse one for the Septuagint. Okay, and so um, I divided the two because I do believe they belong. One belongs to chapter five, and one belongs to chapter six. So this is me separating verse one into two verses. Okay, I can do that, and I didn't die. I didn't get struck down by lightning. All right, let's go. Let's go to the next one. All right, and so here we are. The sons of God instigate instigators of the flood. 
on the previous chapter was the days of Noah. And uh, what you see here is me separating the verse or the separating the chapter into topics. Because as you can see here, this is one topic. We just talked about Noah. Now, believe it or not, we're going to go down here and start talking about the sons of God. It's another topic. We've got to rightly divide the word. And that's what I'll call myself doing on one elemental aspect of the scriptures. Um, uh, that the sons of God, having seen the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, took to themselves wives of all whom they chose. Now, I'm curious, what ha when, this, when this verse was read to you, what did your mind immediately think of? Okay, we're going to find out what mine thought of and see if they match up, okay? Let's see. No inter interspecies breeding, no interspecies marriages. So that's the law that was in violation right here, right there, which led to the judgment of God and the flood, okay? It was enough to bring death. However, the death was delayed. So I don't know if it really was. Anyway, anyway. But in another in another such book, not so much this one, but we read that the angels, this is what this book calls them, the sons of God. It calls them angels. The angels that did this were under, um, they were confined. They were confined to the abyss, I believe it was. And they were in chains until a certain amount of time a certain part of history, whatever, going to be released. So um, that's not only that's the only thing I can think of that they that they did to deserve such a punishment. Okay, so no inter interspecies breeding, no interspecies marriages. You, you know, just like God has a law against you sowing two different kinds of seed into a field. Uh, I guess this would be considered the spiritual aspect of that practical application. Of both Adamites and Canaanites, I ask a question. I ask this question. See, I, I do ask questions because I, I don't know. I don't know if the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, when I see the daughters of men, does that mean only Adamites or does that mean both Adamites and Canaanites? Because we know at this point in the book, by now, Cain and his progeny have been excluded from a certain portion of the earth. And so they have to live off to themselves. Now they live in and populate in the land of Nod, right? Okay. So I don't know if the son of God came down and said, Ooh, look at all these Adamites, or they were like Adamites and Canaanites. You know, because um Adamites we would like to think is a more righteous stock. But if these guys got involved, then they definitely tainted that stock as well. Um, or what the Canaanites excluded, I just said that, yeah, population. Viewing and beauty, the sole criterion of marriage. Okay. So I don't know if that's supposed to be our criteria for marriage or what, but um, I guess they're supposed to, I guess what we, what, we, what we can deduce from this is that there was definitely a tr an attraction, an attraction that led. To marriage led to wanting to possess this woman, and throughout the book we find that that's one of the leading criteria. 
is beauty or attraction, okay? And so um, in other cases, you know, a, a father may have gotten a, a, a wife for a son, but I'm sure the father took into consideration, I want somebody who's going to be beautiful to my son, who's going to be attractive to my son, who also has qualities that are, that are beautiful as well. Because, you know, sometimes a sister doesn't have to be all that attractive, but if she has, if she possesses qualities of beauty, that will make her beautiful despite her appearance. Amen. Let me tell you something. There are women who may not be the best lookers, but because they are beautiful on the inside, they automatically transform how you see them on the outside. And this woman is like gorgeous to you. Even though some of her, her phenotype may not match what you have desired, I just keep it over mind. You know, it can happen. Okay. Take taking from all which they chose would imply polygamy. Okay. Um, I don't have any proof that that's polygamy. I don't. But when I every time I hear the words. They took wives of all whom they chose. I don't see them to, to really cared about. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Those, those sons of God, I think not only did they take wives of whoever they wanted, I think they took any amount they wanted. I believe they could because they had that, that much of an advantage over man to where they say, hey, brother, I don't care you've got a problem with it. You, um, we can take this outside. We can take this outside, so to speak, you know, so that a man will surely, will certainly get showed up by one of these guys who had, was much more mighty and mightier in power, you know, to where you know, smack a man backhand with one hand, and then, you know, um, he learned his lesson. I'm not to mess. I'm not to mess with you guys. And I believe that's how they were able to take wives of all they chose because man was no competition to contest them. All right, and not only that, but um. I believe that they may have taken wives that may have already been married. We don't know. I'm sure. I, uh, I was going to say, I thought the book of Enoch goes into more information about them and more into information as to how they conduct themselves on earth. I know it does that, but I don't know how, if it addresses the marital situation. It's been a while since I read the book of Enoch. Okay? But I do believe I mean, polygamy already existed before now because we find out find out that Cain's progeny is the first one to have involved himself in a polygamous relationship. So we read. I can't, you know. So we read. We got to take what we what we read with a grain of salt because there might be something else. Might be some something else that really happened that just wasn't recorded by the narrator or the person who recorded this, okay? Because he, I can guarantee you that whoever recorded the Bible, and it's at least 40 different authors, okay? Whoever recorded the Bible did not record all of everything that was to be recorded. It's a lot they did not record. So we don't really actually know what happened and what order it may have happened. So we need to be humble and take what we get and uh, be satisfied with that, okay? Chapter 3, or verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not certainly 
not. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. And the Lord's God, and the Lord God said, My spirit shall certainly not remain among these men forever, because they are flesh, but their days shall be a hundred and twenty years. All right. Okay, now I got something in the Lord called. Let's get to it. Because a man is flesh, irresponsible with the possession of the spirit of God, all right, life expectancy shortened, okay? Because we already learned from chapter five that man lived an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of time, okay? And so he was only able to do that, I suppose, because he was animated by the spirit of God, all right? And so I believe that perhaps maybe that was the first solution before God just jumped into judgment. Let me just destroy the whole planet of people, a whole land of people. All right. And so I believe that maybe it may have been his first solution to try out, see if that's going to do something about this whole situation of corruption upon the face of the earth. Okay. All right. And uh, God invents solutions after it happens, but there is no prevention. And that's my problem. God comes in for with, with solutions. Okay? After after this after whatever took place. And that's gonna be his method back here during this time in history. To come up with solutions to whatever badness man is invented, okay? But he never comes with, up with prevention. And it's about the turn of the flood that we see him starting to involve himself more into to the prevention phase, okay? So, he's not preventing it. He's just dealing with it. And that's, I can see why that frustrated him. And it does frustrate him. He says, you know, my spirit ain't going to be dealing with this, all this you know, heck with all this, you know? And um, it, it doesn't quite do the job he wants it to do. And this, a lot of people don't like this. Some people don't like this. But I will say, God is learning, okay? God learns. And a lot of things he probably already knows because he's been living so long that that's what you do when you live a long time. You you know things. You learn things from experience. But we can clearly see God is learning here. Okay? Because there's things he could have done instead of flooding everybody out. There's things he could have done instead of saying, you know, my spirit won't always um, living man or whatever it is. There's things you could have done. There's, there's smarter choices you could have made. I know you guys saying, what are you, what are you saying out your mouth, Wando? How are you blaspheming so? I'm like, look, let me tell you something, man. We got to be real with this. We got to be up front with this and, and see, what we're, see what we're reading. Because what we're reading is telling us exactly what I'm saying. Okay? I mean, we, we got to stop trying to read this book and start and, and stop trying to brown those God at the same time, thinking that if I s- ignore what I see and just say what the church has always said, then God is going to be happy with me because he's going to strike me down with lightning if I say anything otherwise. That's falsehood. I think God wants us to God wants us to approach this book with wisdom and see what it's clearly said before our eyes. And that's the first, that's the first component of truth, you know, is to see what you See what you're going to read, accept what you see, and address it and, and deal with it. Just deal with it, man.
I don't have to have this lollipop version of God that has been taught to me all my life. Okay, I'm dealing with the real God here, and I embrace whatever it says about him. I'm not going to make it seem like, oh, that's not really saying that. That's really saying this, and come out with a, a whitewashed version of God. I can't deal with that. I want to deal with the truth. So should you. All right. Um, no prevention. And I have access to the spirit. Only those that prove themselves. Timers. The timer is set based on Adam. I'll, I'll get to that in one second. With the time limit agreed upon, it must have been said in Noah's day. Okay. What I'm saying is this. He gave man 120 years to live, right? All right. Now, that has got to be the greatest Bible contradiction yet. And it will be the first Bible, no, it kind of be like the second or third Bible contradiction if we accept that for what it says. He said, I'm going to give man 120 20 years to die, right? How is that the case when Noah died over 600 years? Noah was 500 years and he gave birth to them, 120 years. Only way that would be true is if Noah died 120 years later, which I don't see at all. Okay. And then, so what, what it must, see, that's what I'm talking about negotiating the scripture. We have to make the scripture agree when it, when it obviously contradicts because it's not meant to contradict itself. What we can do, what we can do is understand that, okay. Um, nobody who preceded Noah died 100, 120 years. Nobody had that birth date. I don't think nobody died 120 years until around Abraham's time, you know, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So if you said it then for it to take effect hundreds of years later, that doesn't make sense. Obviously, what scholars have figured out is that he put a time limit on Adam's life and said, I'm going to give Adam 120 more years to live. Then when he dies, I'll bring the flood. I'll bring in the flood. So that's how scholars um, have addressed that verse. And that's how scholars understood that verse. And I guess when you do the math, you will come to that conclusion as well. All right, all right. So um, when was that said would make a difference? Because if that was said in way back when Seth was born, we know that's a lie, all right? So that must have been said during Noah's time because Noah, if I'm not mistaken, Noah and Adam's life overlap. Um, I, I forgot how many, how many years, but that's another study. That's another video we're going to have to do together. We're going to have to go ahead and find out everybody's birth dates and uh, how long they lived, not birthdays, but how long they lived, et cetera, et cetera. And then find out who overlapped who, how long did Adam, Adam lived for almost a thousand years. All right. So um, are we going to say that within a thousand, within almost a thousand years, God brought flood upon the earth? We didn't even give man a thousand years to live on the planet? I mean, collectively. Okay. Before you say, no, y'all got to get out of here. Whatever version of whatever version of man we're dealing with, they have got they have corrupted themselves also with the involvement of the sons of man. 
who well, the, the the uh book of Enoch or the book of Hanukkah tells us that these beings came down and start teaching man and start tutoring mankind into all sorts of I don't want to say evil, but things that in the hands of man were used to corrupt and were used evilly. Let me just put it that way. Because they came one of the things they came down to teach mankind was how to read. This is what the book of Enoch says. How to read. Now, you can't tell me that that reading is evil. Okay? But it tells me that in the hands of infantile man, it could be used evilly to read. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about how how you can actually use that evilly, but I'm just saying all these things that were taught to them could be used, could have been used for self gain and to, to take advantage of their fellow man and tell corruption was was um, was prominent on the earth. <clears throat> now the giants were upon the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God were wont to go in to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the giants of old, the men of renown. Now, the giants of old were the alien-human hybrids. Now, how can you dare say aliens, Wandell? How can you dare say? Fashion your lips to say that. Let me tell you how I can say that. It's easy. It's easy. The sons of God. All right? Um, let me tell you what an alien is, first of all. Alien is what you would call an ET. An ET are two, uh, the abbreviation for extraterrestrial. Now, extraterrestrial, when you break down the word extraterrestrial, it means not from this planet. Now, if you're going to tell me that the the sons of God that are from the planet. Show me the chapter and verse where they were created here. Okay? So it seems to me they were around or available when the planet was being created. So they must not be from here. Easy breezy, man. It's just easy to figure out if you just let go of your biblical training, your Christian biblical training, and start using your own eyes, your own intelligence, start being a 21st century being and use the information in your head already. Stop trying to be a third-year-old, third-year-old, third-grader, you know, and read this book that way, okay? It tells you plainly what's in front of your eyes. Just accept it, all right? So the Son of God came down and had relations with women, all right? Where they come from? And how are they the sons of God? Then the sons of God, they must be in close relationship to them somewhere, and they must, and then say, and then tell us when they were born or when they were created or anything like that. So they must obviously have been around prior to or previous, previously before this fattening of the earth and sky. All right. So the giants of all were aliens and human hybrids. The scripture does not say the giants were offspring of male and, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, of female and son of God is something that we can assume because it mentions them one after the other in the same breath type of thing, you know. Um, men of renown 
Some scholars believe that the sons of God were Adamites. Okay, this is one theory running around that the sons of God were really Adamites, and they saw the uh, daughters of men were Canaanites, and they had relations with each other, and blah. That does not suit the description to follow, because the description to follow is that they were giants. Now, how is it possible that if, because people who believe that also believe that Cain is Adam's son, right? So if that's the case, how can you have the same DNA producing giants? What is that all about? So it's, it's like trying to make sense of this. Sometimes you just got to get rid of the scuttlebutt, all right? And that's that's one of the that's one of the theories that is, is real weak and not supported by the scriptures. Okay, but that doesn't explain the giants, the giant element. Okay, ah, here we go, verse five. And the Lord God, having seen that the wicked, that the wicked actions of men were multiplied exponential. Okay. <clears throat> upon the earth, and that every one in his heart was in oh every I'm sorry every and everyone in his heart was intentionally brooding over evil. Okay, I got you. Continually, all right. So <clears throat> man's intentions were evil, and that's all he contemplated, meditated on, thought about imagine in his heart was evil stuff. I guess because um, <clears throat> we got to take, we got to remember this. Okay, let's remember some things. At this point, the earth has been cursed because of Adam's sake, right? So that made labor hard. And wherever there's hard labor, okay, and you got to work real hard to accomplish anything, there's going to be some crime. In the inner city, that's the that's case, you know. Um, got to fight over jobs. Got to, you see somebody else doing well, better than yourself, you're going to want to go the easy route and just rob them and take from them what they have or whatever, right? So we saw how it all started with Cain and Abel, or Habel. Um, I guess it all started when Habel was a Proved by God, respected by God, and respected the sacrifice. And then we saw Cain come in and say, hey, man, let's take this dude out. right?" And so I'm sure it multiplied and got worse over time. Um, there's, there's a telling of some events that took place in the book of Enoch, in the book of Joshua, and all these other extra-biblical documents. Okay? And so we got to take in consideration what the world was like during this time, all right? And there wasn't really, um, if they wanted to water land, they had to go to a water source, haul that water all the way back. So a man can get pretty creative with evil intentions, you know? And then, too, you, you add the Son of God element where they're teaching man all these kind of things to get, all these sorts of crafts and knowledge and sciences to help them take advantage of their disadvantaged situation where they're on a planet that seems to be against them, that seems to be you got to work extra hard 
to get this stuff to grow in order to survive on the planet, right? And so for this kind of knowledge, I'm sure it made it was a shortcut to how to get some things done. And I'm sure it wasn't long before man learned how to use it against himself or against other men, okay? So, and the Lord, having seen that the wickedness, the wicked actions of men or men multiplied upon the earth and that everyone in his heart was intentionally brooding over evil. Now, that is akin to verse 3. We just left verse 3. And the Lord God, I haven't seen the wicked men. Let me see. Let me see if I'm right about this. Okay. Okay. And the Lord said, my spirit should not... Well, okay, it, it seemed like that's what was making him decide, I'm going to remove myself from the equation, you know, because um, they bring death upon themselves by doing that. I guess that's akin to having the Holy Spirit and you have the Spirit of God in you. Um, I don't know how you can live without the Spirit of God, so the Bible has some explaining to do with all this because I don't understand how unless this is where this, the distinction is made between man's own identity which is a spirit-like being that animates him or where the soul was invented to replace the spirit of God. I don't know. It's hard to say because the Bible does not give us the information. Okay? Um, where were we? We are at verse 6. Golly, all this time in verse 6, huh? Then God laid it to hearts, all right? He pondered. Laid it to heart that he made man upon the earth, and he pondered it deeply, all right? So in your King James, it said, this is where God, this is where it says, God a repentant God that he made man on earth, or that he, re he repented that he made man on earth, all right? So is it the same? We understand that repent is to do a 180 from your actions, right? Some people even think that repent is to confess a sin and then just to abandon that sin completely altogether afterwards, all right? So I wouldn't say that it was a sin that God made man on earth, but I'd say that God to 180 from his actual regret it. That's the easiest word in English to, to uh, replace that with. He regretted making man on earth. Okay? And, and and this is where this is what really got me to believe in that. Wait a minute. Maybe God is not all-knowing. Maybe he, if, if we look at God back then, which was a younger God than is the God right now, the same person, if it's the same person, then we can say that all right, he he knows a lot more than he used to know. All right, so um, maybe he, maybe he grew more tolerant of man on earth. Or let me just put this. Let me put it this way. Let me stop saying earth so much because this is a dry land. All right, we learned in Genesis chapter one that the word earth really means dry land. Not only in Hebrew, but also it says that in in the uh, in our translation from English that that's what God called earth. He said, I'm going to call the dry land earth, all right? That's what it says, and I'm going to call the waters sea, okay? So we have to keep that definition in its context because I know many of you would take that definition far beyond whatever was said of it, and you want to make it the whole entire planet, 
And that's not what it is. I can tell you that that's not what it is. From knowing Hebrew and reading the rest of the Bible, there is there is a word for globe, for planet, and it's not here. It's nowhere near here. So I can tell you these, whenever the Bible is saying Earth in these locations, these verses here, it is 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 uh, applying to dry land. So let's not get fantastical and stretch the meaning of these words because that's what it means. And I think it's important to stay right there in order to get what this book has to give. Because of what, what perturbs me the most about you know my brethren and sistren is that they take liberties to say things the Bible never is intending to say by making these words more fantastical than what they're designed to be. All right. And uh, and uh, okay, evil has it coming to itself. All right, so what I'm saying is that you know, evil is being sown, so evil will be reaped. All right, keep that simple. And God said, I will blot out man whom I have made, even oh, from the face of the earth, even man with cattle and reptiles and flying creatures of the sky. For I am grieved that I made them. All right. Let's talk about something for a second. I got to go outside the Bible for this one to explain this. Because I've heard this said to me a thousand times. Hey, man, what kind of God do you expect me to serve that's going to destroy innocent little animals along with man? He could have, he just, he just should have destroyed man if man was so evil and then kept the animals alive. I'm like, one, we are privy to his contingency plan to do just that with the ark, all right? But two, let's understand how not only man corrupted his way, but the animals have been crossbred as well, okay? Um, when the sons of God came down, the animals were not excluded from the debauchery that they performed on the planet, Okay. So it, it reached the animal kingdom too, which is why he had really was really grieved behind the whole thing. Now, to understand that some extra reading is, in, is involved, is going to have to be involved, like um, the book of Enoch, especially, explains this. Explains, I, I keep on thinking I should have gone back to the book of Enoch, but I didn't want to make this project bigger than what I, what I wanted to. I figure for those that are interested, you go back and read it because I didn't want to divert you or um, bring anything that would tempt you to be distracted. Okay. But I know, I know my mentioning of it can do that, but I'm just mentioning of it to fill in the gaps in the story because the story is talking about some stuff that you don't know really happened. All right. So anyway, um, so he's going to blot them out. I can think that. So he's coming up with a plan. He's coming up with a plan to get rid of them. All right. And just as and I think this is the plan that met the Golly Council or the Golly um the Golly Conference, shall I say, because there's a lot of things that God asks for help in, like let us make man and uh, man and become like one of us. And um, it was another thing he said, let us, 
do some. So it seems to be when he makes a decision involving mankind that he actually consorts with others. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Leave it at that. I don't want to entertain whether there's more than one God or not. I'm going to just tell you right now, the Bible seems to address that question. Let me just say that. All right, so he's going to blot him out. He's coming up with a plan. He hasn't come up with, he hasn't come up with a plan yet. We don't see the completion of the plan because we can see the motivation for doing so. We can see the wheels in the brain turning. And now let's find out what we see in the next verse. Oh, it just ends right there. It's not going to go beyond that point, but it's going to pick up a little later in the verse, okay? Noah in the midst of the dry land. But Noah found grace before the Lord God. And I want you to pay attention to the word, the Lord God, okay? Because in Hebrew, that's the word Yahweh Elohim. So the tetragrammaton is used this early. I mean, earlier than this. I think even the first verse is used. But I want you to pay attention to how Genesis, up to this point, uses the word God and uses the word Lord God. Because it's definitely using those it's definitely using those distinctively, not interchangeably. Because we can see up here, and this verse five, and God said, right? Well then how come they say before the before God down here? How come it's saying before Lord God or the Lord God? Just something to notice because I know that many people read this book completely oblivious to that distinction. But I want that distinction to be made because there's much that can be learned by entertaining that distinction. All right. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man being perfect in his generation. Noah was well pleasing to God. Okay. So in this chapter, we see that there are so far Okay, so verse 1 was actually the end of verse of chapter 5, okay? So far, I see two different books being spoken of in this one verse. We have this book, up, I don't even want to go up there. I wish I had my memory was, I wish my memory was better so I don't have to do this. It's going to be hard to get back down. All right, so, and it came to pass when men began to multiply numerous on part of the earth. You know, we have the genealogy, which ends, okay? That was, that belonged to the book of Adam's genealogy. And that's what that book is called. It's actually called that in the scripture. It's called the um, Ha'adan Toldot. I forget. I'm going by memory now, so forgive me. I could be wrong about that. But that's what that's called. So this is an inclusion to verse 1. First, verse 1, part A, is the conclusion of the book of the genealogies or the generations of Adam, okay? And now we're getting into another book. And um, <clears throat> you know, it came to pass and man became numerous. It's telling another story, of course. And then I get down here to where um, it talks about, it makes a distinction between the text. And, oh, wait a minute. Oh, massive death as a sign. That, that passed. This is why I didn't want to do it because I, I was afraid. 
Yeah, I did. I didn't pass it. Okay. Let's go down. Yeah, down, 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 down. Yeah, he wants blind. Okay, so here we go. Noah in the midst of dry land. So here it is. But Noah found grace before Lord God. Talk about Noah. Then it started talking about Noah all over again. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was perfect, blah, blah, blah. Okay? So, let me see. It doesn't, oh no, okay, I know what it says. It says, Safer, Safer Todot. means the book of generations. That's what the lad, that's what chapter five was, the book of generations, okay? Um, this one here, it doesn't say, if we look in Hebrew, it doesn't say. It says, um, Ele Toldot. Nah. So you don't see the words up there. So these, these are the generations of Noah. So apparently the the uh, the, narr the narrator took a redirect of the story. He's going to repeat some same stuff from chapter five. Bear with it, because some of these some of these books will repeat some of the same information over again. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was just was a just man, okay, um, being perfect in his generation. Noah was pleasing to God. All right, I kind of left off my coloring system because I don't have the legend, but I will make a mention of this. That's why this is red. Now, this could be red or it could be purple. Purple is whenever a righteous person is mentioned or whenever there's a righteous deed or example someone is performing or conducting, you would make that verse purple. I'm making it red because it's following, it's following a long historical line. You know, red is for past. Red is for ancient, ancient information. Red is for um, even when someone is talking, if they're talking about what happened yesterday or in the past, something like that. It's red. Color code systems. Right? Once I see it, I, I see red. I'm like, oh, okay, that's dealing with the past. That's dealing with the past. But I see purple. Oh, that's dealing with righteousness. Right? So I can just sight read the Bible. <clears throat> that's what it's all for. That's what it helps you do. All right. Um, perfect. Noah. Who else is called perfect? I don't know why I asked that question. <laughs> I don't know why I asked that question. But I, it may be asked the question like, who else is called perfect? Saying that no one else is called perfect but Noah. So if Noah is an example of a perfect man, but he's perfect in his generation. So that's comparative perfect, okay? That's a perfect that may not, may not meet today's standard of perfect, especially when we, once we realize the criteria of perfect from God himself. We know that Mo, uh, Noah was nowhere near being held to the law of Moses, okay? Noah is given another covenant, and his covenant is far easier, far easier than the covenant Moses was given. So perhaps he kept that covenant perfectly, okay? But com in comparison to what Noah and the children of Israel during his time were given, he may not have measured up. We don't know. He may have still been righteous, but, um, yeah. There's speculation, so let's go on.
being perfect within this generation, a matter of perfection by comparison, which I just spoke of, by perhaps the addition of another book starting and ending. Also address that. Perhaps this is the beginning of a big, uh, uh, beginning of another book, beginning and ending. I addressed that, and we also discovered how it could. It may not be, okay? It may not be. Because the, the, the text does not say it is, but it's, it's, it sounds just like all the other books that started in Genesis thus far, all right? And Noah begot three sons. Again, with, see how this is repeating itself? There's no way on possible earth that one author could be saying the same thing this multiple times. This has got to be the evidence of redaction, okay? Redaction or editing of the text, all right? So we must be dealing with a new author, a new narrator, or whatever, to keep saying this again. Because we just read up there where um, Noah was 500 years old when we got these three sons, right? Now we read like, the same information without the 500 years. So pay attention to this. Don't overlook this. Don't just read over it. Try to get to the end of the book so you just breeze on through some of this stuff. This stuff matters. All right? I'll repeat verse one is what I say here. But the earth, dry land, was corrupted. All right? The earth was corrupted. Mm. I wonder if this the earth itself was corrupted before the Lord God because <clears throat> corrupted would bespeak the word we're more familiar with, defiled, okay? And we do know that the earth can be defiled. But let's not, let's, let us not forget, the earth was cursed. So what do you expect? Really? Before God the earth, dry land, was filled with iniquity. Now, I know a lot of us want to use our American understanding and say, the earth, that must have been the population of earth. That must have been the people on earth were filled with iniquity and filled with corruption. And I think a lot of us try to take that shortcut in reasoning, right? But it very well could be, it could be earth, meaning mankind on it, animal planet on it, and it could be the earth itself. It, it's no telling, because I'm going to tell you something. When the sons of God came down, they taught men root cutting. That's one of the things they taught men, was cutting roots. Now, you know, cutting roots for the sake of that, um, of manipulation of, of forces, what some of you guys would call magic, that's what root cutting was. So I don't know if they got so heavily it said that man had become so corrupt that his, his whole imagination all day, every day was evil intention, right? So perhaps he made a mess of things um, which would involve not just um, the ground or not just the, uh, the animal planet and mankind, but it couldn't, it couldn't defile the earth itself. So let's keep an open mind to that, not just think that, oh, it's just talking about man was corrupted 
This is just a, another way to say that man had gloves in himself. No, it could very well be the earth as well, which is why it would justify the flood. Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The United States has developed technology that can take out a whole entire race of people right now. And you mean to tell me that the United States government is more efficient at killing and destroying a large group of people than God is? God's been doing this for a long time. All right? So this is what makes me think that this justifies a flood. It makes the plan brilliant. Right? Because I'm sure God, just the way God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, not the rest of cities alive, the same way he could have done some of this. He could have handled some of this like that. He could have created a biological chemical weapon because that right there sounded more like a nuclear-esque weapon that destroyed Sodom. Okay? But, um, of course, it's going to be described with ancient technology. Of course, they wouldn't have the proper vernacular or jargon to describe such a more advanced technological weapon as a nuclear weapon. So, having said that, he could have created a biological chemical weapon to destroy man that way. But we're going to get a flood, which is going to destroy all of life, all of life that has breath in it. And for those who know your science, you should know that plant life in the plant kingdom also are subject to the carbon dioxide oxygen exchange. So that would include them as well. Okay, Corrupted and filled with iniquity is telling of what God was faced with to understand justification of his removal of, of his mass removal of life. All right, Because I know a lot of people want to sit back and say Oh my God, God sounds horrible. What kind of God will have a temper tantrum and then just flood mankind? But I want to say something in God's defense. A lot of parents have this attitude that I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. You know, it's a famous joke told by Bill Cosby back in the 80s, okay? So God created man on earth, man is God's creation. The whole plan went haywire. What is he supposed to do? What the heck is he supposed to do? He's supposed to just, oh, well, man, go, went haywire. I can't be a meanie. I can't be a big meanie and kill him and get rid of him and, and salvage my whole creational plan. I can't do that. I just got to let man run his course and be as evil as possible and hope that one day, keep my fingers crossed, hope that one day he'll get so evil enough he'll turn good. And I just got to wait it out. That's all I got to do. Well, you got to realize man is is performing its evil to other men. So by destroying man, he also prevents that from happening as well. But we're talking about the being who has, who is a father of souls. We're talking about the man who is a father of spirits. He invested his spirit into mankind. And if mankind is not doing what he intended to be done with his spirit, what is he supposed to do? I mean, some of these people who Find fault with God is so so unreasonable, 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 you know? It doesn't make sense. It's like you're thinking about God from a six-year-old perspective. Like, come on, you got to think like think of God and approach him like an adult. Like, if you're if you're a parent, you have a greater understanding of him already, you know? 
would you have fathered some children and let them tear your house up? Would you let them just run rampant in the city, committing all kinds of crime, all manner of injustices, and do nothing about it? And of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. What you would do is probably do the American, the spoiled American thing, is go run and get somebody to help you with it, whatever. But no. Um, I'm, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. And uh, corrupted, okay? Okay. So the word corrupted is shakhat. It means to decay, all right? Uh, ruin, literally or figuratively. Batter, cast off, corrupt, um, destroy, loose, mar, perish, spill, spoiler, utterly, waste. So those words shall bring to bear a deeper meaning of what the condition of the world, the earth was at the time that he made this decision. And we can see how he's reaching this decision. I mean, first, he applies mercy. And this shortened man's lifespan is showing, is showing mercy, especially when it's not literally a 120 years. It's not like somebody from birth to death would be 120 years. That didn't happen for another maybe a thousand of years, okay? Next verse. And the Lord God saw the earth and it was corrupted, right? Because all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. More like a reiteration of the previous verses, okay? Let's not ignore the mention of Yahweh, uh, the mention of Yahweh or Yahweh Elohim. Generically, it mentions Elohim. That's the word you see up here when it says in God, right here, before God and the earth. All right, I can show you the word Elohim right here in Hebrew. It's right here, right here in Hebrew. You may not be able to read it, but I'll guide you through the letters. This is the letter Ha or H, okay? Ha. Ha means, I told you earlier, it's the article the, okay? So Elohim, this is Aleph Lamed. Hey, there's hey again, there's an H again. Hey, Yud and Mem, okay? So that's A-L-H-I-M. And that A, for some reason, Metarets, who are the ones who invented the vowel system, this vowel system, because there was another vowel system um, created in Tiberius before them, but this vowel system is the one they created. So this gets an L sound instead of an Al sound. Um, I guess I got to do a video on that too because the word Allah fits closely with the pronunciation of true, of the true name, a true word for God in Hebrew and Aramaic. All right. Well, I'm going to just push that to the side, hopefully gain some interest for when I make that video. Okay, so it was corrupt and was filled with iniquity. So now the word iniquity is kamash. Kamash is the word for iniquity. Violence, oh, that's another word to replace iniquity. Wrong, cruelty, injustice. All right, so these are the things he had, he had, he had to be faced with as a creator. 
And if there's a way you see that just uh, your creation can be salvaged, all you got to do is get rid of the cancer in the creation. So be it. Who are you to fault God? You are his creation. You want to tell him what tell him what he did wrong? I'm like, no. If you're his creation, then act and behave as creation and do as this creation is is ordered to do. You know, and that's not a popular thought anymore. It's always about, you know, what can God do for me instead of what can I do for God? Which is one of the biggest problems in this country on this planet, actually. All right, let's let's move right along. Okay. Um, and there we are. We keep seeing it now. We keep seeing it. Lord God. And the Lord God, or Yahweh Elohim, saw the earth and it was corrupted. Again, for the third time. Third time. I wonder if each time it mentions this, was there a massive plan he incorporated, just not mentioned? You know, because honestly, the, the narrator, whoever's writing this, is not writing this as a person, as a witness to what's going on. This is a person writing this after the fact. So it's much, much more information he's not mentioning. He can't mention because he just don't know. And what we understand about Noah, I mean, I'm not Noah, but Moses, is that a lot of us will give this book credit to Moses, right? I'm starting to wonder if Moses deserves the credit because I've seen a book that was written by Moses and how Moses got conveyed this information. There was the angel of the presence angel of the presence came down and addressed Moses, told him what to, and dictated the whole incident, all the incidents to him, told him to write it down. And I believe that book is the book of Joshua, if I'm not mistaken, or is the book of Julius. I always get those two books confused because they're so similar, but one of them has a different diction to the narrative, okay? And brings some different information. I can't can't remember because I have it's been a while since I read those, but I do know what they contain. And the Lord God saw it corrupt, um, okay, and corrupted because all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. I know <clears throat> when you're reading the Bible, you like to read the Bible, get through it, get it done before you fall asleep, right? This is the kind of stuff that will put you to sleep. Keep reading the same thing repetitively over and over again. This is like the third time or fourth time. This has sent that. All right, we get it already. We get it. I don't know if it. I can't. I can't say whether the Bible does that intentionally to drive a point home. I think you know some scholars would say, "Well, if the Bible said it three times. It really, really, really means it." And you know, they made. They tried to make the senseless make sense. All right, but um, <clears throat> I'll put my bid in for. Hey, perhaps. These are three times God had to deal with it and trying to come up with solutions to it and couldn't and just gave up on it and said, hey, bring the flood. All right. Bring the flood. All right, let's let's not ignore the mention. I said that already. Okay. Elohim, but it's as specific as if this particular these this particular action belongs to this specific Elohim. All right. What I'm trying to address here is this. We have Elohim already. Now we have a more specific Elohim. We have Yahweh Elohim. 
right? I say Yahweh, you can say Yahweh, you can say Jehovah, whatever you want to say, all right? I'm not here to argue that. But there's Elohim, and then there's Yahweh Elohim, all right? So we're getting the identity of a specific, of a specific Elohim to be mentioned here. And um, I don't want to lose sight of that fact. I want you guys to pay attention to that fact. All right. All flesh, including the flesh of animals. All right. So now it's just not men anymore. We start off with just men were men were eligible for the stink for extinction. Then the animal planet was included in that extinction. And we found the class of animals too. We found the cattle, reptiles, and the fowl, right? Everything that, everything that contained life, all right? And it's, it seems to me that that life is always borrowed because the life was given to it by a, a being, okay? And so... What I really find out here of the injustice that's done here is I gave you my life to live, to animate you, to bring you to life. You are misusing that life that I invested in you. I want that stuff back. That seems to be what's being said in a nutshell. All right? To me. To me. I could be wrong about that but I don't see another scripture to contest what I'm saying. So I'm going to go with that. Sure, that's my answer, Jesus. All right. And here we go again. The Lord God. See, if you pay attention to when the word the Lord God is being used, you'll see that it's used in this judgment element. Okay. I just want you to notice when it's being used. When it's being used. I'm asking the question. Answer my question. You'll Teach yourself deeper information by answering that question. Okay? Notice when the Lord God is being used. You can compare all the scriptures where it says God and then all the scriptures where it says Lord God, and you'll see that it's more so used in the judgment aspect when it's speaking individually about decision, decisions it's going to make in this judgment and his judgment towards the situation that's been brought up. And the Lord God said to Noah, a period of all men has come before me because the earth has been filled with iniquity by them. And behold, I destroyed them and the earth. You know, I have this verse as read. I'm thinking about going back and changing this because orange is the color that deals with the law, judgment, tradition, culture. And that will be more suitable there because that's him dictating a judgment to the... Uh... I'm like, who is he talking to? Who in the world? Okay. Oh, he's talking to Noah. He said to Noah. Okay, that's right. That's, that's hermeneutics right there. Hermeneutics is understanding that this is being written to somebody, all right? So we know that it's being written to a Jewish audience. But in the writing, who is this particular character speaking to? He's speaking to Noah. That's hermeneutics. And it's at its simplest. And it's simplest. Okay. And I think a lot of us 
don't read the Bible with that mindset. And therefore, we don't come we don't come away from the text understanding it completely the way we should because we don't employ its method. That's one of the things you can find on Swordsmith Group. I have a Swordsmith Group on Facebook where I um, I enlist the help of videos from YouTube from different scholars who have created courses about hermeneutics so that you can easily learn how to read and interpret the Bible according to the proper method. Instead of this shuck and jive, make up what you want to make up, makes up whatever feels good, whatever makes whatever sounds fantastical to you, out your own head, make you sound deep in front of other people. Um, <clears throat> I'm like, that's not the proper way to um, solve the mysteries or the riddles or understand the book, okay? All right. Back to the back to the text. All right. So the earth has been filled with okay, and the Lord God said to Noah, a period of man, a period of men has come before me, because the earth has been filled with iniquity by them. Okay. It ain't blaming it ain't blaming the, the sons of God. It's blaming men for the iniquity that's in the earth. Okay. And behold, I destroy them and the earth. So I'm going to destroy them and the dry land, all right? The earth was not destroyed. The planet was not destroyed. The dry land was destroyed. Because if you want to destroy the earth, water would not be the proper agent to use to destroy the earth, but it's the proper agent to destroy the dry land. Let's keep that clear. Because the, the, the word earth is used in the, Old, in the New Testament, and for some reason, you guys are thinking it's talking about the world, the whole entire world. And that's very rarely the use of that word earth, world, whatever. Um, okay, so Noah earned privileges of being made privy to the plan. Okay? It said he said it's Noah. It said he said it's Noah and no other person. So Noah's being made privy to the plan of the coming deluge or the coming judgment, all right? And Noah is a prophet of that day because he's being made privy to the plans of God, all right? Um, made privy to, okay. An example of how God destroys the earth. This is an example. I'm going to destroy the earth, okay? We have a promise. We have a promise right now that many of you think are, that is self-existing right now because you think the world is going to come to an end at some point in time in the future, right? I'm not going to argue whether it's in the future or it already happened in the past. I'm more of a believer in the past. I don't want to take up the time to debate that. But what I will say is this. This is an example of how God is going to destroy the earth. He even admits that that's what he's going to do. I'm, I destroy them and the earth. Now, does that mean the planet vanishes? Does that mean the planet split in two? Does that mean the planet caught on fire and exploded? It does not. All right? So if that's the case, if this is the first example of God destroying a planet, how then can you say, and he's done it a number of times, if you read the Bible properly, you will find out where God has destroyed the earth 
plenty of times. He even promised that he was going to do it. Then he did it. Okay? And so for some reason, now you guys think that this time God is going to really destroy the planet and we're going to live on another planet because this one is going to be thrown away or something. I don't know how you get that. But this should prepare you up front for how to read the rest of the Bible. That's why I say Genesis is a dictionary in and of itself. And it tells you how to ascertain these words for later usage elsewhere in the book. All right. Okay. Well, Noah passed. Okay. Noah, but other men he didn't speak to. I'll just mention that. Was it perhaps Noah's lifestyle that made him conversable? All right. Because <clears throat> this is where I, I want to jump ahead a little bit in the Bible, but I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't, but, I, but I'm going to. It makes me wonder, all right, why, how can God have a conversation with Noah, right, but doesn't have conversations with other men? At least the author doesn't write it down. Does Noah keep himself pure and clean? At least that's the, the description we read of Noah. Perhaps he kept himself pure and clean enough, um, performed the sacrifices on time and all that kind of stuff, and still honored the ways of Yahweh, so that Yahweh could speak to him directly and consider him, consider him in his plan. Like the, the age-old question from Abraham, will you, destroy, will you destroy the wicked with the good? So we see God before that, before that conversation even doing the same thing. It's like when he went to, when he went to Sodom and uh, Amorah, he didn't he didn't um, destroy the wicked with the good. What he did was he found a way out for the for the good because the wicked was too numerous. All right. So this is what we find out him preparing to do right now, discussing his plans with Noah. And that's a God you can appreciate. That's a God you can appreciate. He will come and converse with an individual to preserve him. So we see a plan to destroy and salvage life. That's what I titled this topic, or subtopic, shall I say. That's what I'm titling this subtopic. You should do the same um, as far as titling the subtopic, but title it what you want to. If you want to borrow mine, I'm all for it. So period. The word period comes to mind like, okay, what what, what did that word period mean? What did he mean the word period really in English or in Hebrew when he said it? Let's look at the word period. The word period is our kids. Kids. When you say Q, you always got to say Q guttural. Kits. Kits. An extremity. And adverbally, adverbially, with prepositional prefix. After, after, utmost, border, infinite process. All right. So, a period of all men has come before me. So, the extremity or the edge or the end, the end. In some translation, that will it will say the end of all men has come before me. Okay. And let me let me help you understand what I'm trying to do. I'm taking liberties with telling you what I think the Bible says based off of biblical information. 
but I'm also providing information that could disagree with what I'm saying. So when I say something, I don't want you to just accept what I'm saying because I'm saying it. The Hebrew text could disagree with me or agree with me. It could support what I'm saying as well. So when, I'm, when I say about the Bible is that stuff I'm just making up. It's stuff that I've meditated and chewed on for a while and come to this conclusion because of the information I provide to you, right? Now, if you're able to come up with some other deductions based off the information you see, based off some of the information I'm providing, find out, find out that I am wrong in what I'm saying, I'm all open for the reprimand. Bring it on. But you gotta bring you gotta bring it to the source myth group, okay? Or my profile on Facebook, okay? You can do it there too. Or YouTube, or Instagram, or Twitter. All right. So anyway, <clears throat> where are we at now? Oh, we didn't get art. Okay. Make therefore, okay, so here's the plan. Make therefore for yourself an arc of square timber. You shall make the arc in compartments and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. So I don't know if the word arc has ever been used before. I know in the Bible is that this is the first time you ever see the word. I don't know if it's ever been used. I don't know if it's ever been said. We're talking about a thousand year of history. It's no telling that what word was ever used before. Okay. So but what he's doing is he's giving a description of it. He's giving a description. He's giving a purpose of it. I want you to make a piece of wood, right? <clears throat> I want you to use wood as an agent for making this, this vessel. Tell me about it. And I want you to take pitch. I want you to seal it on the inside with pitch. I want you to cover it on the outside with pitch. Basically, I want you to make a waterproof box that's yay big. He doesn't go into the dimensions here, but he will go into many. He will go into more detail with his describe with, with his description. So salvation and destruction goes hand in hand because destruction is going to come because judgment must come. But salvation is the alternative plan of the destruction because if I'm going to destroy something, I'm going to save something. A remnant. It seems God is not into total annihilation as he was in the first chapter. <laughs> you gotta go to you gotta go see my video on chapter one to know what I'm talking about, right? And so neither is he in a total annihilation, even though a large large percentage of the planet is worth nothing anymore because of the corruption. He only has eight people he's gonna save let me say eight people in this account of the story, okay? In this account of the story, he comes to a person in his lineage. In this lineage, he addresses one person named Noah, okay? Now, we understand that there's a parallel flood story, all right? That's Sumerian in nature, or Akkadian, or, I, don't, I don't know which one, but that one in that in that particular flood story, that character is called Unafishtim. Unafishtim. I don't know 
if it means the same thing as Noah, and that's just another way of saying Noah in another another language, I can't I can't speak on that. I don't know. All right, I'm looking for some clues to find out if Unafishkin is like a rival to Noah, but in most cases, many people don't even many people don't even care about that. They don't go that deep or pay that much attention to a story. They just assume, oh, that's Noah in a Babylonian version of the story. So the Bible must have plagiarized the story. I'm like this. It could be more than just one Noah out there. It could be another a group of people who wanted to save in a boat. All right? Because they were in another part of the world. And they were hundreds of miles away from Noah. And it makes sense to tell them, hey, why don't y'all come on down here to this boat? Now, y'all see a bunch where you are. Y'all make a boat there. Okay? And I know that the Bible, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to go ahead a little bit. I know that the Bible talks about the flood in hindsight and say only eight people were saved. You know, I know it says that. But in this account, let's just keep it in context. With the other account, there's no reason to believe that they're invalid. It's possible that God could have done this in multiple locations. All right. I know it doesn't seem that way because you guys think that the Bible is absolute. Whatever the Bible says, it means for the whole rest of the entire world. It does not. It does not speak for the rest of the entire world. Matter of fact, the Hebrews have not even been over. over I can I can guarantee you the Hebrews have not been over them. Oh no. I mean, let me not say that. Let me not say that because I can see the argument coming. Oh, where we were in, we were in North America, brother. Don't you know? No. It does not speak of incidences in in other parts of the world. Okay? We know that um I'm just I'm just saying this to let you know that I'm not ignorant. Okay, so don't don't approach me as I'm ignorant. We know that Solomon had a navy, <clears throat> and that navy would go and spend about three years traveling abroad. Okay. But there's nothing. Well, it is now because we find some uh, Israelite artifacts in the Grand Canyon and in uh, North America. Okay, <clears throat> we find Hebrew artifacts, but we don't find Hebrew artifacts from Solomon's time. Okay, let's keep things in perspective. And, and having said that, I'm gonna move right along. All right, because it's getting late. Oh my God. All right. So, um, all right, make a pitch. All right. Um, so we're going to make a waterproof ark. The word ark is the word uh, teba, teba in Hebrew, perhaps a foreign derivation. All right. A box, an ark. So basically, that's the lexicon way of saying, I don't know what it means. That's the way of saying it. I'm trying to sound educated at the same time. Okay. <clears throat> and thus shall you make the ark 300 cubits. Now, for those of you who don't know, a cubit is from the end of a man's elbow to the tip of a finger. So you could, if you could put 300 of these down on the ground somewhere, you get an idea how big this ark was, okay? 300 cubits, the length of the ark, and 50 cubits, the breadth of it. All right. Dimensions are schematic plans.
for the arc specifics. And 30 cubits are its height. Okay. Moving right along. You shall narrow the arc in making it. And in a cubit above shall you finish it. And the arc, okay, and the door of the arc you shall make on the side with lower second and third stories shall you make it. So this is a three-level three-level vessel. The dimensions are given on it, how narrow it's going to be, etc. But um, I will say this. Maybe I won't because I just forgot my point. Mm. Oh, I know I was going to say. This how desperate Christians have gotten. Christians are so desperate to find validity in what they teach. And because their spiritual practices are void, that they will go back through the Bible and the useless part. And when I say the useless part, I'm talking about the Old Testament. They call it useless, right? And go look for Christ. And they have found Christ in the dimensions of the ark, believe it or not, in the description of the ark, especially when the door is going to be on the side, Christ was stabbed in the side. Oh, my God. Those kind of games in the Bible, I don't believe in playing, okay? I'm going to tell you, I wag my finger at those kind of games. Okay? So it's three stories tall. Okay. And behold, I bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven and whatever things are upon the earth shall die. Why I ask you to do this and how to preserve yourself alive. He's telling Noah why he's asking to do it and how to live through it. How to survive this, all right? I'm going to bring a flood, but for you, for you, let me see if I can tell you, for you, yeah, there you go, for you, I'm going to tell you how to live through it, how to survive it, and how to overcome it, all right? And um, and you're going to be forever grateful to me, you're going to be my, my a worshiper of me, and we're going to go into covenant together, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the water to destroy all flesh and the breath of life. All right. So why I'm not okay. So why a flood? Is this the easiest way to kill off the population? This method would explain the extended life expectancy, along with how he explained to remove the life force from man. Okay. We know that God's going to cut life down to 120 years, right? Gotcha. But we don't know how that's going to happen. Now we do. <laughs> now we do. Okay, now, now I understand how you're going to get man to live 120 years. Okay? Duh. All right. So let me see. What's over here? Okay. Flood. The word flood in Hebrew is mabul. Mabul. <clears throat> in the sense of flowing, a deluge. A deluge is a flood. For those of you who don't know, a deluge is a flood um, to be immersed in the water. Oh, immersed in water. Um, and I guess from then on, water became a way of purification. And so we see water being used in purification rites within, um, I don't want to call it Judaism. I'll call it what it really is. 
we see water becoming a, a purification rite within the law or the covenant of Moses. Uh, water used as a way to, as a uh, suspension, <clears throat> suspension of defilement, you know, because it comes into the spirit, suspend defilement, purify, cleanse it, and it not be an, an, a hindrance any longer. All right. All right. So let's go on back down. Yeah. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, and your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. Okay. Um, I promise to go into contract with you. Let's look at the word for what it really is. Because you guys, I think a lot of people look at the word as covenant as some fantastical word with this theoretical meaning. All it means is I will go into contract with you. Okay. I will make some stipulations with you. And in order for you to stay in contract with me, you have to abide by the dictates of the contract. Okay. Just that simple. Just those simple terms. You know, it doesn't have to be real flowery. All right. And uh, your family. Okay. I'm going to contract with you and your family. The ark is the ark is for those who've covenanted with Yahweh Elohim. Okay. That's what the ark is for. The ark is to preserve those under his contract. Okay. There's no reason not to expect, expect that. Now, <clears throat> listening to a lot of you guys talk about how the end is going to play out. It sounds to me like you don't have no faith in God. Well, some of you guys do because you believe that he's going to preserve a remnant somehow, some way, right? But some other people, you listen to them, they think, they act like what's happening to the world is going to happen to us, even though you believe that the end is coming in the future, which I don't believe. I believe that it already happened. But like I, like I said again, that's another subject for another time, Okay. Um, the word covenant is berit, berit, and um, you know the word barikadasha. The word barikadasha is the word for the New Testament. It means the um. Oh my God! I forgot. I forgot what I should have brought up. But anyway, berit means the sense of cutting. Okay, cutting, like um. H1252, a compact because made or because made by passing between pieces of flesh, a confederacy, a federation, covenant, a league. All right. So a covenant is really the cutting of flesh and the spilling of blood. Okay. Anywhere you find a covenant in the Bible, this is what takes place. Cutting of flesh, spilling of blood. Even down to the circumcision of a man. Cutting of flesh, spilling of blood. All right? The two elements that are necessary to make a covenant. And where blood and flesh could not be made, could not be cut because of a hasty covenant, bread and wine was used. Wine represents the blood because it looks like blood. Right? Okay? Flesh um, the bread represented the flesh because the flesh bread could be torn. All right? Symbolic, I guess many would call it um, 
what's that word they use for sacraments? Sacraments of atonement, right? <clears throat> so keep that in mind, all right? And we see a lot of things being established here. So far, not the bread and wine, like I said, but we'll see the bread, we'll see the wine after the flood, all right? All right, so, um, and of the cattle and of all the reptiles and of all the wild beasts, even of all flesh, you shall bring by pairs of all into the ark that you may not, or that you may feed them with yourself. Male and female, they shall be, okay? Prepare for the future. Be organized, right? Collect. That's what he's telling them to do. Prepare for the future. Go on out there and get food supply. You got to look, look ahead of time and see what needs to be done. Noah, right? <clears throat> collect, collect their diet to keep them alive in the ark. Would have been wise to have a garden in the ark. <laughs> it would have been wise because, okay, I'll tell you why. Unless they learned a way to preserve food without refrigeration. Now, that's something else I want to address. Okay, I want to address the life with breath in it. Okay? So, all the, notice, this is the second time the animals have been mentioned reptiles, wild bees, cattle, etc. Fowl. I think the fowl exempt from this. All right, but anyway, the fish are not mentioned. The fish don't get to die. <laughs> the fish don't get to die. I guess because the distinction was made that this corruption happened on Earth. It didn't happen in the water or whatever. But fish get to keep living right on. Matter of fact, the fish are about to be treated to the remains of human bodies. Okay, so um, <clears throat> they're going to be they're going to be submerged in water. The fish are going to leave their natural habitat. To um, be able to swim and devour and eat, all kind of stuff. But there's a lot of things that we haven't thought of that we need to think through this story, especially if we were directing, if we were the, had a video camera in our hand directing the story, we need to make it as real as possible. And that's where your brain comes in to do the work. Okay. I want you, I want to make, make that clear. But let's go back and talk, talk about the, the diet of these animals. Because they're going to eat the diet of whatever man eats. And that's going to be made clear later on. But the reason I say it would have been wiser to have a garden in the boat or in the ark is because some of the stuff that animals eat has to be eaten fresh. right? They're going to be in this ark for, for almost a year. okay? And so, um, grass. I know the animals can can eat dead grass. It's called straw, right? But how in the world are you going to have a year's worth of food and preserve it unless they had a method of preservation long ago? You know, you can do that by drying fruit, okay? You can dry the fruit, sun dry it, and it'll last a lot longer. Um, I don't know if they ate meat back then or not. I don't know. That could have been part of the problem. Okay. Um, we know that um, you can cook meat and dry it that way and stuff like that and preserve it longer. Whatever. Um, it's a lot of speculation. 
that has to go into this, but that's the fun part, all right? All right. Of all winged birds after their kind, of all cattle after their kind, of all reptiles creeping upon the earth after their kind, pairs of all shall come into you, all right? None of the animals whose habitat is the water itself mentioned of life, okay? I just, I just went into that point already. Male and female to be fed with you. Time to him, perhaps a supernatural draw, all right? Um, the, okay, what he says, he's saying that the animals are going to come to him, okay? And so in order for the animals to come to him, and he don't have to go out to the animals. I'm not saying he doesn't have to go out to the animals. I'm just going to say, right here, it says, Earth after their kind, pairs of all shall come into you. Pay attention to the words, right? So they're going to come into him. There had to be a supernatural draw to bring the animals to him. All right. Um, is it safe to say the fear and dread of man was not in the animals before the flood? Because we know that after the flood, it was given to them. The fear and dread of man was given unto them. And also, um, it would make sense that it would not be in them because they were drawn to the ark. All right. Maybe they saw a brother performing all his activities and said, hey, what's up? You got our food? You got, you got some food in here. Whatever, I don't know. But um, moving right along. And you shall take to yourselves of all kinds of food which you eat, and you shall gather them to yourselves, and it shall be for you and them to eat. This is where I get the idea that animals are now going to eat man's diet. Okay? Because we found that the animals were given a specific diet. It's supposed to be in the green grass and the herbs. But this is supposed to be in the been eaten, right? Okay. Um, now, that's vegetation. That can die quickly and shortly, all right? Um, even if you dry it, you can make a tea out of it, <laughs> make some tea out of it, but um, a man was given a diet that included that and the trees, the fruit of the trees and things like that, right? So, perhaps... The, the, the diet of man was extended to the animals at that time. Or maybe I'm just reading too much into it, okay? Provisions for you and the animals. Animals allowed to eat the man's diet. Perhaps God realized that this would be a fine substitution since their diet wouldn't suffice the duration of the ark. All right? And Noah did all, all things whatsoever the Lord commanded him, so he did. Now, if you know like I know, that right there is criteria enough to get on God's good side, to do all that he commands you to do. And um, criteria for him to establish a covenant with you. Same thing that Abraham had to do. I know I'm going ahead, but I have to to make that point. Bring home. Um, a chance to prove his righteousness in doing all he was commanded. A great responsibility if one thing was left undone, it would have it would have devastating effects on 
the entire plan. Is that it? Oh my God, that's it. Like I'm saying, like I'm saying here, if Noah failed to do just one thing and destruction was coming on the whole entire planet, it would have meant it would have meant either we would have life would have had to exist without that thing, or God would have had to go back into the creation process or whatever. I don't know because um, I see God involving himself in the creation process in, intermittently in throughout the rest of the Bible. And uh, so and because, whenever he did that, he didn't have to add an extra day to the calendar or extra day to the week to involve himself in that or whatever. But anyway, I hope, um, hope you guys got something out of that. I know I did. I swear every time I do this, I learned something more from just reading this. I I, I I swear this is a book I can read a hundred times and learn something every stinking time that I didn't see before. So that's why I don't want you guys to take for granted this book. That's why I want you to read it and have the ability to read it like you never read before. And it could it, it can be done because even I do that same thing when I ask you. I don't I don't do anything different than I ask you guys to do. All right. So I know I didn't get into too much detail as to what my Bible study method is as far as the intricate details that lead up to this point. There's a process prior to this, which I call the grid, okay? There is the manual phase, all right? And with the manual phase, it requires you sit your behind down with just you, the Bible, and some colored pencil or some color pens, and then you just map out, chart out the books and identify and simulate the individual verses because you are going verse by verse. The most asinine thing to do is when I see somebody who's not going verse by verse through the book, they're just going group of verses by group of verses, or they're cherry pickers. You know, you just pick a verse and read it and and assume they got the whole entire truth because one verse said so. The Bible is not built that way. The Bible is not built that way. You have to read this book as a collection to get the whole gist of everything. You can't just read one verse and think you got the whole entire end all be all of the Bible. It doesn't work out that way. All right. So, oh boy, I talked myself to my head is dizzy. All right. Um, we're going to call that quits for now and uh, come back with chapter 7, 8, and 9. All right? And um, there'll, be a, there'll be a shifting of the story, but it's going to detail the flood a lot more. The, the following verses we're going we're gonna to introduce, that's what they're going to do. Let's go into detail about this judgment of God, this flood. Okay, um, how about I didn't keep you guys too long? If I did, just watch it in parts. Just watch it in parts. But this video will be available on the Swordsmith channel on YouTube, and it will be available on the Swordsmith page on YouTube, the Swordsmith group on YouTube, the Honorable Hebrew, <laughs> Honorable Hebrew like. Women of virtue, masking as eternity, 
whatever. That, oh my god, that's the longest group name I've ever seen. A copy will also be there. So um <clears throat> if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Ask me in a message. Feel free to video yourself asking me the question. If you have some correction, I prefer to keep it to yourself, but I'm open to that too, because that's going to just, I'm not going to see it your way. I'm just telling you that right now, unless you bring something compelling to me and say, hey, Wondell, you forgot this. And uh, you, you'll, have a, you'll have a more success rate if you approach me with humility. All right. Instead of trying to approach me braggadociously, because what you sow is what you're going to reap. I'll tell you that. That's, that's just how, that's how I roll. But yeah, I had a good time tonight. Um, I hate that I went so long, but uh, I'll see you guys around next time. <laughs>